the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Simple Truth Moments, hosted by Reverend Earl Clampett of Simple Truth Ministries, a weekly show dedicated to excavating God's Simple Truth Moments. Good morning, San Diego Saints. I am your host, Reverend Earl Clampett. Welcome to Simple Truth Moments, a unique type of broadcast with the goal to prepare the body of Christ for the momentous times in which we find ourselves. This program serves as a kingdom training platform, challenging church tradition, not with hostility, but with a view to assess the biblical validity of what is taught and lived. So put on your seatbelt for an enlightening journey of cultural context and a fresh way to more thoroughly comprehend the kingdom ways of God. Good morning, San Diego Saints. Welcome back. We are uh, into a new series called The Kingdom. From Creation to the Millennium. Um, it's a book authored by a colleague of mine, uh, Don Anna Volson. And um, last time we got together, we did an intro and uh, the chapter, first chapter uh, of the book. And uh, just as a quick review, uh, the name of the title of the book is really uh, critical in that the author made a distinction uh, between our preaching just the gospel versus Jesus and John the Baptist announcing something that was called the gospel of the kingdom. And uh, removing those three words uh, made a radical difference in what came out as a product on the other end. And so what we're doing uh, by exploring this particular book, we are taking a look at um, where are we um, in the modern-day church. Uh, we just finished a series on whether the uh, Scripture is a Hebrew uh, biblical circle, circle sort of experience that's cyclical, or whether it's a, a Greek uh, Western linear design, and um, and this is a perfect follow-on to that last series, and we're going to continue on. Uh, I was just finishing uh, the last concept in chapter one. Uh, we defined the kingdom as the king's domain, and it was more of a governmental uh, sort of function as opposed to just strictly a location or a place. It's the domain of the king. And um, it was to serve as a portrayal, if you will, of God's creative nature. He's a creative God, and uh, the kingdom, um, his domain is to be a representation of who he is. And um, so we talked about what is man's role, Um, and... Is he a unique creature with a special purpose in this kingdom of God? And um, we laid that out pretty much in Genesis 1, 26 through 31, and then also looking at Psalms uh, 8, 4 through 8. I'm not going to go through that. We have an earlier show that you can access to that. But just as a real brief summary to lead into what we're going to talk about today, uh, man... Uh, is made in both the image and likeness of God, and that is our essence as a human being. We are in God's image, and we have God's likeness. And um, we then discussed the mechanism or the means through which uh, the likeness and image of God was to be revealed to the world um, basically comes through man's two characteristics, if you will, and his jobs is to have 
um, dominion over the earth and to be fruitful in it. So um, that pretty much describes um, the tools and the results of what happens when we serve um, as God's representative in his image and in his likeness. It produces dominion and fruitfulness, and it's also dominion and fruitfulness are also the means by which we reflect the likeness of God and the image of God through who we are and what we are. And so we briefly discussed likeness reflects a vertical relationship between God and man. Basically, we worship God, and as we worship God, he deposits or downloads his likeness into us. And we talked about that's a deeper intimacy of of what uh, was initially experienced by our first parents, where they were with God, and God was with them in the garden. They had a relationship. Uh, but this vertical relationship, as it gets deposited in us, and we'll see this as this, we go through this series, um, all of this is to be purposed by God indwelling in the finality of everything, indwelling his creation, which is namely human beings. And we are to, in turn, indwell God. And we, we talked about that being in John 17, also in John 14, additionally John um, 15 and John 16, those four chapters. It's all about indwelling. It's all about not just dwelling with God, but God in us and we dwell indwelling God. So much deeper, much more profound, much more int- intimate. And then the, uh, the image part of the component um, reflected a horizontal relationship where after we get the download of God's likeness into us, our job is to turn and face the world and we're to become the visible image of God to the world. Now, if that seems mind-blowing, um, it's like the first chapter of Genesis. And, and so I don't, I'm not sure we ever have stopped to really explore the depth of what this signifies, but that's what we did in the last show. And we got cut off here at the very last, and, and to summarize that first chapter, uh, which is where the kingdom was defined, and uh, basically what are humans and what is our purpose. Um, we wrapped it up by saying we are to be the representation. Okay, I'm, I'm saying that in that way to, let you, to make a point here. We are to represent God in his image and in his likeness. We are to become his image bearers, B-E-A-R-E-R-S, image bearers of, of God's rulership and dominion over all creation, over all of the angelic world, and mankind on earth. And we're going to talk about that today, uh, about what is this thing called co-regency, and does God want us to do things for him, or does God want us to do things with him? makes a big difference. And the verse that I did not get to finish at the end of the last show was uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 2 through 3. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and um, he's asking a question of the Corinthians as if, this answer should be already understood by them, kind of like this is basic. But he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, I'm reading out of the New King James, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Well, that was kind of mind-blowing when I first taught that down in the jails. Uh, to the inmates, and I said, God has a purpose for you, and you have no concept, um, the grandiose scheme and um, size and proportion and magnitude of what God's got in store for you. And uh, Paul's acting as if he says, you're, you're supposed to already know this, Corinthians. 
Why don't you understand this? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Now check out the next verse, verse 3. Do you not know that we shall judge angels? That's a question mark. How much more things that pertain to this life? God's got big plans for man. I mean, there are so many uh, roles, I should say, R-O-L-E-S, so many roles for man. And this uh, judges of um, angels and mankind seems to, I've never heard it preached, to be honest with you. I've never heard anyone actually say, hey, you know, take a look at these two verses. Um, Is this a hypothetical? Is this something that's supposed to happen in, you know, some other scenario? And um, this is what God is preparing for roles of mankind uh, when he gave us our first assignments in chapter 1 of Genesis, verses 26 through 31. All right, so that ended the last presentation, both the intro and the first chapter to the book of the Kingdom from Creation to the Millennium by Don Anavolson. So we're going to go into chapter 2, and the title of the chapter 2 is That They May Rule. And um, I'm going to just give you some summary of the chapters. And um, There were two ever-present aspects of God's creation when you would observe creation, looking at it, um, just taking it all in. And the two aspects of God's creation are basically uh, one is order and the second one is fruitfulness and uh, I have in that parenthetically life so you see order out of coming out of God's creation and you see life coming out of God's creation and we see that in Genesis 1 um, 1 through 2 we see that God brought order out of chaos uh, we see in Genesis one uh, eleven and 20 through 22, we also see uh, God not only bringing order out of chaos, he, he in, introduces life in Genesis one eleven and in Genesis one twenty. He introduces life in the form of both plant and animal life. So plants and animals and all of that, what all of that entailed. And then... Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1. The question comes up, well, you know, what if I never got the gospel preached to me? Am I responsible in how I conducted my life if I didn't hear about this message? And Paul goes on to explain uh, in verses 18 through 20 in uh, Romans chapter 1 that nature itself, as you observe it, as you take it in, as you uh, take notes, pay attention— as you really focus in on nature, nature itself testifies that God's nature and his character is both orderly and consistent. I'll say it again. Nature itself testifies that God is both orderly and he is consistent. Now, What does that mean as far as what man's purpose is? Now, if we're to be getting a vertical download that we're supposed to receive God's character as we love him, as we worship him, as we invest our time in him, in developing our relationship with him, a personal uh, relationship where we are conversant with our creator, we are able to speak to him, we are able to ask him questions, we are able to hear his voice. And this is through practice, like anything else. Practice makes perfect. you got to give yourself to it. But that's what God craves. He wants this relational contact with us. And uh, in another show, we, dis- we discussed uh, what's the definition of eternal life. Well, in John 17, 3, Jesus explains to his apostles the night before he um, dies He says, look, let me tell you what eternal life is. In fact, that verse starts off with the words, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, 
and he's praying to the Father now, he says that they, they, referring to the apostles, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he sent. So that doesn't mean no in a head sense. We discussed about that. What that means is no in a relational heart context that you basically communicate with God and say, you know what, you are my life. I want you to be my every thought. I want you to be my every motivation. I want you to be my very um, explanation of what I am about on this earth. You are the purpose for my life. In fact, you are my life. And so that's a relational sort of um, experience, and, and that is to be experienced, as we indicated earlier, uh, in the here and now. Relations, uh, eternal life is not something that is to be uh, experienced after we physically pass away. Eternal life is a relational experience with God that we have access to in the present moment, right here, right now. And that's why our use of time is so critical and the enemy gets, uh, gets us distracted in so many things in this modern world to take our eye off the ball, that we are the most important, powerful creatures. If we choose, if we decide to live in the present moment, one one second, two seconds at a time, 1,001, 1,002. We, we have control over the present um, when we take our thoughts captive um, to make them obey Christ. And I've gotten to the point now where I'm trying to practice this present moment eternal life by engaging in question and answers with, with Father God. And for example, I'll say, uh, Father, what is the next thought that you want me to have in my mind right now? What is your next thought? And boy, I'll tell you, he'll answer that question. And you can ask that all day long. Try it. This is called Simple Truth Moments. This is simple, but it is profound. And you can control the next two seconds by saying, right now I've been thinking about baseball, or I've been thinking about, you know, do I, uh, how do I pay the parking machine when I get out? Or I could say, Father, what's the next thought you want me to have? And he will tell you. And he'll oftentimes give it to you. And then you start to realize, wow, man really is important to you as we see in the creation story in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. You'll find out how important you really are to him when you begin to engage in this type of back-and-forth question and answer. Try it. It's so simple, but it is so profound, and it will bring a dimension to your life, the magnitude of which you cannot explain. You're thinking, gee, all I was doing was asking questions of God. Like, what's his next thought that he wants me to have in my mind? And then you realize the type of authority Father God gave us in this creation story. Authority over our thought life. Authority over the freedom to choose. Free will. I mean, he gave us so much access to power as we use the legal permission, which is by definition authority, to live our lives in the kingdom context of saying, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now that means here and now, in my particular life, in my situation right now, in this certain instance right now, I want your will to be done. And if my thought life doesn't line up with how, what your will is to explain my purpose and why you created me, it answers who am I and it answers the question, what am I doing here? And God's just waiting for us to make that outreach to him 
and you watch what how it will <laughs> turn your life upside down in an awesome and a spectacular and a formidable way. So, so if man is the visible representative, as we saw in the earlier chapter, of both God's image and the likeness of God in creation. Now, we were supposed to be, that's, the, that's our job. Our purpose is to be God's visible representative of both God the Father's image and God the Father's likeness. If our job, our purpose, is to be the visible representative, in other words, when other people look at us, it's kind of like, I think it was um, John 14, 9, where Philip is talking to Jesus about, well, you talk about going back to the Father, and, you know, who's the Father, and this and that. And and Jesus says to him, I think it's in 14, 9, he says, if you've seen me, Philip, if you're looking at me, you're looking at the Father. So Jesus understood what his purpose was, both as Son of God and Son of Man, because Jesus was both. He was very God of very God. We understand that. But this whole very man of very man is something we haven't really explored yet. And the more we study that, in fact, I think it's more than somewhat. 80-some-odd times that Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man. And only about a dozen times in the Gospels is he referred to as the Son of God. Why? Why that big discrepancy? That's a big numerical discrepancy, and we're going to explore it. We're going to explore that. So if our job is to be the visible representative of God's image and likeness in his creation, then we, as his children— are to demonstrate God's characteristics of these two aspects that we talked about earlier. God's characteristics reflect two things in creation, which is order and life. Now, what do we have in modern America? (laughs) Do we see order all around us, or do we see the opposite? So whose kingdom is prevalent in our modern society? Do we see a focus on death in our culture, or do we see a focus on life? Taking, for example, just the abortion issue that's being debated after the Roe versus Wade case got reversed, and now we have in California this Proposition 1. And, um, and we have to, as representatives of him, vote on this and express why we're voting this. Are we voting our biblical values in in this? Are we going to reflect life in this instance? Are we going to reflect reflect God's order when we vote in this opportunity with the next election coming up? So mankind, according to Genesis 1, 26 through 31, we are supposed to exercise what the Bible calls dominion. And I have parenthetically here, these are my notes from the chapter, by establishing or maintaining order out of chaos, just what in Genesis 1, 1 through 2. We're supposed to do the same thing because we are the representatives in both in God's image and his likeness. And we have to exercise dominion by establishing order out of chaos in our in this creation world that we find ourselves in. It's an invaded world. It's a fallen earth. We understand that. But we have to simultaneously do something else. We have to basically also impart or create life as he did because he made us creative creatures because he told us to be fruitful. Fruitfulness is the bringing on of new life. So God made us creative creatures as well. So uh, in Genesis one twenty six, and we're going to go over some other verses here also, the first sighted and continual purpose of mankind is to exercise dominion. Now, it's, it's, we're going to get into whether dominion is a tool 
um, to basically be the representative of God, um, or is it is it evidence that we are truly representing God as we exercise dominion? But in Genesis one twenty six, it lays out clearly um, what we are to do. Let me just get it here real quick, and we've got New King James. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And that's a semicolon there. And the very next thing says, let them have dominion. And it names all of the animals over which we were to have dominion. And and then he says in verse 27, so God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Verse 28, and then he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over, and then he names all of the animals we have dominion over, and even uh, the plant life, everything. And so dominion is a critical aspect of God's tools that he's going to use us in how we can become representatives of Father God in both of his image and his likeness. So dominion is really more of a mechanism or a means to be an accurate, truthful representative of the nature and character of God. All right, we will see you on the other side of the break, and we will explore some more about what is this dominion authority that has been given to man, and what is our purpose in this earth. Welcome back, San Diego Saints. We have been exploring this uh, chapter number two in the book, The Kingdom, From Creation to Millennium by Don Enavoldson. And um, we are right now taking apart and studying the concept of man's purpose in God's creation. So we're on the aspect of having dominion and what that looks like and why is it that man was given this and not fallen angels. I'm just going to take a little rabbit trail here. Job is the oldest book of the Bible. And as such, it begins with a conversation between the enemy, the adversary, and Father God. But that conversation takes place down here on earth. That's really significant. It wasn't up in the heavens when that conversation was going on. And who did they want to talk about? They wanted to talk about an example of this creation called man. And his name happened to be Job. And I've always maintained that the fallen angelic kingdom is jealous of man's role, but they're angry at God because they didn't get selected for the role of being a co-regent with God, a co-ruler, if you will. And... You can see that in John. Uh, I'm sorry, in um, Isaiah chapter 14, with what they call the five I wills that Satan declares from his post in the second heavens. And one of the things that he, uh, in the five I wills that he mentioned, is he says, "I will raise my throne above that of the Most High God." Well, what's interesting is. There's not a single verse in the Bible that's ever said that angels are ever delegated or attributed to having any sort of governance on a throne. Thrones are for the Godhead, Father God, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, that's the Jewish version of Jesus the Messiah, and he's, he's sitting to the right hand of Father God on his throne. And 
there are a lot of verses that t- tell us that, hey, mankind is eventually uh, designed to be also seated on thrones, but no angels are ever referred to. And I think that's what the book of Job is all about. In fact, I think that's what most of the Bible is all about, is the attempt by the satanic world, by what uh, the Jews call Hasatan, the adversary, Satan, Hasatan, um, and his maybe confusion, but anger to try to ascertain why he perceived what he perceived to be superior creatures in the angelic realm didn't get any thrones. They weren't told to have dominion over anything. And Satan very much wanted to have dominion over something, and you can look at that as a perfect example when you look at the second temptation of Christ in uh, Luke chapter 4, when uh, Satan takes Jesus after he's been in the desert for 40 days, and he's, he's tired and he's hungry, and of course he's going to tempt him. But uh, it's an interesting drama because he doesn't take him up to say, oh, I'm offering you heaven as if heaven were the prize between these two power centers of one being the kingdom of God and the other one being the kingdom of the fallen angels. He doesn't show him heaven. What he shows them is the prize. And the prize was the earth and all of the nations on the earth. Now that goes with Genesis 1, 26 through 31 on, hey, all of this is about man being delegated the authority to have dominion over that which is the man's inheritance. We keep saying, oh, yeah, I'm going home to heaven. Listen, I'm not anti-heaven. I love heaven. But heaven is not our home. And that may seem like heretical or like, oh, that's heresy. No, well, just, let's go to the Bible. Um, heaven is a way station, and I want to go there after I die, okay? Let's just put it on the record. I'm, not, I'm pro-heaven. I love heaven. But as a created representative representing the image and likeness of God. That's supposed to happen here on earth because my original job is handed down. was supposed to have dominion over all, all, everything that lived and was created. I was supposed to be God's representative in exercising order and fruitfulness over that which he just created for me. For us. He made earth for man. Because he loved us. And he, he wanted to, what did Jesus say? It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wasn't talking about giving you heaven. He's talking about giving you the kingdom that we see in the first two chapters of Genesis. So, um, So the first side and continual purpose of mankind is to exercise dominion. That We saw that in Genesis one twenty six. Take a look at Psalms 8.6. Got that right here. And again, put this in the context of Job's conversation. Or I'm sorry, with God, Father God's conversation with the adversary about Job. Okay. Um, it says in Psalms 8.6, You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. Let's actually, you know what, let's go back a little bit earlier. Um, And let's start at 8.4. That would be a better, a little more context here. The question is asked, what is man that you, that you is capital Y, so that he's... The psalmist, David, is asking you, Father God, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Verse 5, for you made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and with honor. Six, you have made him to, here it is, to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. And then it lists, again, it's a list of all the animals that you find in the earth. 
and the fish over the fish, all the beasts, all the birds of the air. And and then he says, oh, in verse nine, the psalmist says, "O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth." This is a story about man's connection to the earth as originally designed. Let's go on to Psalms 115. This is pretty clear on this one. 115, Psalm 115, verse 16. Check this out. It says, the heaven, even the heavens, okay, that's plural, so let me say it again, the singular, the heaven, comma, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. Earth is our inheritance. It was no coincidence that when Satan brought Jesus up to the top of the mountain to show him the great temptation, the second temptation of Christ, he didn't show him heaven. He showed him man's inheritance that he, by the way, had stolen man's authority from Eve, unfortunately. We'll talk about that in much greater detail in a later show. She voluntarily, through deception, handed her authority to have dominion over the earth. She handed that over to him by agreeing with him that God wasn't trustworthy and his motivations for making man were suspect. And when she did that, now the fallen um, angelic world could operate now because they have legal permission to operate on earth. But for that They couldn't even operate down here. Um, Look at Revelations 5.10. This is interesting because this is the last book of the Bible and say, well, things are wrapping up here and uh, are we all going to heaven to stay up there forever? And if you look at, let's look at actually um, Revelations 5.9. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. So the you, the wise capitalized, so it's talking about Jesus, about Yeshua. And have redeemed us to God by your blood. And notice he didn't say redeemed us to heaven by your blood. It's saying, uh uh-uh, uh, we lost our Father God in the fall in Genesis 3. We didn't lose heaven, we lost our relationship with God. You can't restore something back to its original unless you had it earlier. And then it says in Revelations 5, 9, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Now remember the second temptation of Christ. He showed him all the nations of the earth. That was part of the temptation. It wasn't just earth. It was all the nations of the earth. And in Revelations 5, 9, it's saying out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation— Check out verse 10, Revelations 5.10. And have made us kings and priests to our God. Well, there's a couple of roles of dominion. Talking about dominion and where, where we're going to be exercising dominion. But look at the last line in verse 10. And it says, and we shall reign. Last three words. You ready? On the earth. We're coming back home. This gospel is the gospel of the soon coming kingdom to earth. Back to earth. That's what John the Baptist was announcing. That's what Jesus announced when he first started his ministry. He's bringing a government called the kingdom. It's, people always think place, but in biblical terms, most often contextually, the word kingdom is talking about the domain of the king. Where the king is, his domain is. And we are to bring the king back to our life 
to allow him to download his likeness into us. And so after that happens, God basically makes us like him. I mean, that's pretty mind-blowing, but that's what the Scripture says. And then we're to turn to the world and represent that likeness in an image, the way we talk, the way we think, the way we are motivated, the way we operate. Everything is supposed to be reflective or in imaging of that download likeness. And thus we become his representatives. We are representing as his ambassadors to the world. Okay, so the Bible is a circle, and it is cyclical, and we are coming back. And um, the gospel is not about the soon escaping church. It's about the soon coming kingdom, and they are not the same. We've talked about that in earlier shows. Let's move on. What about some New Testament verses that cite the restoration of the kingdom of God, but in terms of dominion? So we've already talked about 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 2, 3, where Paul asked the Corinthians, don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And then the very next verse, in um, verse 3, he says, don't you know we will judge the angels? Wow. Take a look at 2 Timothy uh, 2.12. 2 Timothy 2.12. Uh, let's go to 11. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. But look at verse 12. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. Those are big, you know, if is a little word, it only has two letters, but it's contingent. It's a contingency. And so it says, if we endure, now check this out, we shall also reign with him. Where are we going to reign? Are we going to reign on, uh, in heaven or are we going to reign down here? Why, why would you need a human body if you're just going to live in heaven for the rest of your life, uh, disconnected from your human frame? And if only spirit matters, as the Greeks taught. This isn't a Greek book. This book wasn't originated in Athens or Rome. It, it originated, okay? It's all about the soon-coming Jewish Messiah. He's our Jewish king. That may shock some people. I, I literally go up to people and say, hey, do you know... Uh, Jesus Christ, yeah, of Nazareth, yeah. Did you know he was Jewish? And then silence. They just stare at you and say, uh, did you know that 39 out of the 40 authors of this book were all Hebrews? They were all Jewish? Um, so God's got big plans for us, and we just haven't read this book in a Hebrew, um, with a Hebrew purview, a Hebrew lens, if you will, a Hebrew perspective. It's a Hebrew book. And it's all about Yeshua, Jesus. By the way, Yeshua and Jesus uh, in, in, in Hebrew means he saves. Isn't that cool? Yeshua in, in Hebrew means he saves. Or it, it also in, in some translations means salvation. Yeah, names mean things. Titles mean things. Purposes and definitions mean things. And then the last one I want you to take a look at in the New Testament verses which cite the restoration of the kingdom of God in terms of dominion. Take a look at Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 6. Another New Testament reference. Okay, and here we are. I'm going to go back a little bit to 2.4 to get some context. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Look at verse 6. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's past tense. Our spirits, according to this, are already up in that place. Man's inner drive to dominate or have dominion is evident everywhere. Um, we're both, our purpose is to both effect the environment around us and to affect it, both. And um, some examples in the book was... Look at what man does in everything from trying to order how the world operates around him. And the examples were listed I thought were interesting in the book. They so said hobbies. How do you build a model airplane? How do you build a model racing car? Um, do you have everything you need to make it operational? And so before you start that, there's oftentimes a blueprint. You, hold, you know, get the paper out, 
because everything is orderly by design through creation. Um, even the way sports are conducted, um, are there rules to the sports? And what's the purpose of the rules in order to um, carry out the purpose of the particular game or sport? How about dance? How about um, organizing or making orderly steps when you're talking everything from ballet to, to tap dance to um, all the different sh- shapes and size and unique differences of dance? How about music? Is there an orderly, orderliness to music when you learn your scales and you're trying to you know, uh, master a new instrument? There are certain things that you have to learn and you have to learn how to read the music and you have to learn how to practice its scales. How about gardening? Is that not just orderliness, but is it also bringing life? You see, we're seeing God's order and we're seeing God's fruitfulness as it manifests through life. And that's why Paul said in Romans chapter one, don't try to plead ignorance that I didn't know about this creator God because I never got the Wendell um, you know, version of the Bible training. He's going to say, uh-uh, the evidence is all around you. Look up at the skies and look at the order of creation. You, you, if you have eyes, you can perceive it and you can take it in. So there is no excuse. So man's spiritual DNA regarding his internal drive is to control um, part of God's original design it's part of God's original design of human beings. Now, unfortunately, after the fall, the dominion, which was the legal, which is the legal permission to uh, rule and reign, um, man lost his purpose after the fall in the garden, which was to represent God. When they got detached from God, they lost their purpose, which was to be God's representative. But what was hide, hardwired in his DNA was still to have dominion. So the enemy is comes in at that point and takes a good thing, which was man was to be God's representative to show God's order, to show God's life. It's now, dominion has become now domination. It's become perverted by the influence of the adversary. Now, man is designed to rule, not fallen angels. They still don't, they always want to prove God wrong. That's why we have all the drama that we have in our personal lives, our corporate lives, and the things that we see going around us. They're still trying to prove God wrong. And again, the book of Job is an excellent example of how they just won't quit on this. Um, Adam was to exercise dominion over the earth so as to bring two things to it, God's order and his, its fruitfulness out for observation of everyone else. Now, mankind's ability to reproduce life in the image of the Creator and his own is not limited just to the reproduction of, of children. Um, life can be reproduced in spiritual life as when the likeness and image of God is translated or delivered, if you will, handed over from a teacher or a mentor over to a student. I mean, we see this a lot, you know, um, back in the days when we had the guilds and um, before the Industrial Revolution, you know, if if you were um, a person who manufactured you know, certain tools um, or firearms, you know, you would sit down with one, maybe two students and show them everything that was needed to be learned. And, and you're basically providing them not only a living that can, they can use to, you know, pay their bills, but also for creativity. Because a lot of times the student would take what the teacher gave them and then that student would become a manifester of, a, of another element or another dimension of life to say, yeah, but why don't we do it this way? See, man's creative. So man's purpose is to be the visible representation of God in the world, and it's accomplished through man exercising his dominion authority to do two things, to order and to manage the world's environment in such a way that he creates and nurtures both life and growth. So dominion listen, this is important, is the primary tool for fulfilling mankind's purpose to be the image of God into the world. I'll say it again. Dominion is the primary tool for fulfilling mankind's purpose to be God's image to the world. 
that can't ever be lost sight of because that's what will happen after the fall, as we'll see next time. God's characteristics of life and order, by the way, are actually the primary primary products of man's dominion. So if we're doing our job correctly, having dominion over the earth and representing God, um, life and order will be its products. So God's primary purpose in his creation structure was to reveal his character in the design of that creation. Thus, he chose to rule over his kingdom through the use of an agent or a vice regent, if you will, which is us, mankind, who would be like him and who would reflect his image in both our words and our deeds. We are to reveal God's reign by exercising divine authority in the name of our Creator. Simple truth moments. Take some simple truth time and make these truths part of you and your life. We will see you next week as God ordains. May God richly bless you. Thank you for spending your time with us excavating God's simple truth moments. For more information and resources, visit simpletruthministries.net. That's simpletruthministries.net. To contact Simple Truth Moments, email me at earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. That's earlsimpletruth at gmail.com. So until next time, may God richly reveal his Simple Truth Moments to you. You've been listening to Simple Truth Moments. Join Reverend Earl Clampett for another episode next Sunday at 11 a.m. right here on K-Praise. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.